of our palatial recording studios, high atop our mountain lair on a remote volcanic island. This is Talk Universe. I'm Sir Charles Schultz. And I'm Eliza, your co-host. This is our show for Wednesday, May 24th, 2017. Tonight's topic is curing cancer in open lines. That's right. This is an open lines show, so we're expecting good uh, questions and comments from our listeners. But this is all about cancer. Cancer is a malady that has stricken millions of lives, and a lot of progress has been made over the years in treating and curing cancer. But what exactly is it, and how does it work, and what do we know about it? What have we learned? Are we getting any closer to a cure? There's an awful lot to know about cancer, and we'll be covering a lot of those topics tonight on our show. So before we get started, let's make sure everybody knows how to get their questions and comments to us. Oh, Eliza. How can I help you? How should our listeners contact us? That is easy for anyone. Our email address is admin, A-D-M-I-N, at talkuniverse.org. You can also submit your material to talkuniverse6 at gmail.com. If you go to the Talk Universe website under contacts, you can reach us directly. Very good. Thank you for that. Now, first of all, we have to understand um, what cancer is. Eliza, what is the meaning of cancer? The disease caused by an uncontrolled division of abnormal cells in a part of the body. Cancer is the name given to a group of from 100 to 200 different diseases where cells divide out of control. That's probably the best summary of what it's all about, and a lot of people aren't aware that cancer is not a single disease. It's, it's many different illnesses that, in the end, result in uncontrolled cell division. And you might wonder, well, isn't that just growth? No, it's undirected, and that's the issue. In cancer... There is a type of growth going on that is out of control in your body. And that's not all that's happening. There are many things that can happen. And so we'll have a look at that. We'll see exactly what it means. We'll see how this growth affects people and what it results in. Uh, what are tumors and what is the cause of this uncontrolled growth? Well, as with anything, it takes resources for cells to grow. Now, let's take a moment and think about that. Your body undergoes growth almost always in some form or another. When you're very young, it's the growth that your body undergoes to become an adult. And as you age, you encounter certain injuries along the way. Your body has the ability to do controlled repairs, and this is a form of growth that's programmed to replace or repair damaged tissues. So you have the normal growth that occurs as you age, and become mature, and you have growth that occurs to repair injuries. The other type of growth that can happen, and normally we don't want this to happen under any circumstance, is an uncontrolled growth of tissue. Now, what happens is very simple. Everything that grows in your body consumes resources. It takes food in the form of glucose and minerals and building blocks out of your bloodstream, and it takes oxygen, also from your bloodstream, and it consumes energy. And so when you're undergoing growth, there is a, there's a load placed on your body. And your body has to supply the materials, food, building materials, and oxygen, and clean up the waste products from that growth. In uncontrolled growth, 
Things can happen that are not intended. Normally, you will grow muscle tissue, um, you'll grow skin tissue, you'll grow new blood cells, and this is the normal part of your life. But when the program goes awry, something terrible can happen. Um, I know many years ago, people saw the Disney movie Fantasia and the Sorcerer's Apprentice clip in it had a lasting impact on many people where the broomsticks are magically brought to life and each is carrying a little water. And when the Sorcerer's Apprentice realizes he can't stop them, he tries to destroy them and they begin to grow and multiply out of control. And pretty soon, there are hundreds or thousands of these broomsticks carrying water and he can't stop them. A similar process goes on in the growth of your body. The growth is to be regulated in a very well-controlled manner because it is only supposed to happen where it is intended and only for reasons that are intended. And those reasons are to support your health and your ability to gather resources and survive and reproduce. The issues are, what do you do to keep yourself alive? And your body has a program that it follows for that. When portions of the program become damaged or subverted, that growth goes out of control and there are unintended consequences, and it often results in death. Now, we're going to look at exactly what causes this, and there basically are only a small number of causes of cancer. Um, One of the things that shows up very early on in any growth of cancer is you generally have an area that is tender or you don't feel well or there is a swollen spot something's just not right. And you sometimes see this condition persist. You go to a doctor and they check it out and they do a sample or a biopsy and the results come back. And whenever you hear the word cancer, you generally feel pretty devastated because in many cases, particularly in the past, there's not much that's been able to be done about it. Now, we have many treatments that work very effectively today, but we certainly don't have the cure-all at this point. So, Well, let's start with the causes of cancer and a little definition here. First of all, um, cell division is controlled by a literally a type of computer that operates and directs how your cells operate. Every cell has within it a, uh, and the only exception is blood cells, but every cell has a nucleus and it has a store of information within. And that information is all the instructions that control the operation of the cell, the type of cell it is, the the type of tissue it makes up, and the functions that that cell can perform. And within the program for your cell, there is a a lifespan, and what that really means is a number of divisions that the cell can undergo before it can no longer divide and will perhaps die. When you injure yourself, those cells have a a number of reserve divisions uh, stored in the program that allow them to fill in and repair the damaged area. Normally, human cells will divide between 40 and 60 times, and that's sufficient to carry you throughout your life. Now, sometimes the instructions are damaged, and the program goes out of control, and the cells begin to divide. Now, this is an interesting fact. Many times in our lives, we will have cells that go rogue. They get damaged to their instructions through mutation or environmental factors or viral infection or whatever the cause might be, and they begin to grow improperly. And your body has the means of repairing that sort of damage and removing or excising those cells. In many cases, mechanisms within the cell recognize the problem 
and they turn off the cell's function. They kill it. Well, it commits suicide. The cell blows up. It goes through a process called apoptosis, where it uh, falls apart into little blobs, and your body cleans up the mess, and that's the end of it. It is probable in your lifetime that you might have had cancer 10, 12, 20 times and never known it because your body caught it and fixed it. This is a normal part of your existence. Your body has the ability to generally eliminate and control cancer. But there are cases where things happen that your body cannot control, and these are the ones that end up taking you to the doctor for the most part or end up being fatal if you don't get them treated. And it can be difficult to know um, when they occur. The symptoms can be varied, and that's because there are so many causes of cancer. Let's take a moment and review some of the possible causes of cancer. Now, there really are just a few, and smoking is a a large cause. Radiation is another one. Um, Nuclear particles or radiation of whatever sort can damage the genetic information in your cell, and the genetic information controls everything. Viruses cause cancer quite often. They're one of the um, the more common causes because viruses alter the program in your cell. Uh, Carcinogens, these are cancer-causing chemicals or compounds. Some of them cause mutations and they cause tumors to grow. Uh, There's quite a few of them in our environment. Obesity, believe it or not, is uh, one of the causes of cancer. And in part, it's because during your lifetime, You encounter numerous chemicals that can give you cancer, and some of them tend to stick to fat molecules or oily molecules, and fat cells tend to accumulate those sorts of uh, toxins or chemicals. So obesity can actually add to your risk of cancer quite uh, significantly. Some hormones can cause cancer. Um, Sometimes people take growth hormones or, uh, you know, various things in their lives to increase their muscle mass or whatever. And they're outside the range of the normal program and they can cause uh, cancer. Chronic inflammation can cause cancer. And so can a lack of exercise. So there are um, eight causes right there that are recognized as being definitely linked to cancer. People might be quite surprised to find that uh, viruses and chemicals can have such an effect. Now, Many people say, well, I inherited cancer from my parents or something. No, generally, this is not going to be the case. Almost always, the gene mutations that cause cancer happen after birth. Now, you can inherit a propensity, you know, for getting cancer, but it usually takes two, three, four other mutations or genetic switches being thrown before it will cause cancer. Um, radon gas, believe it or not, is also a large cause because radon, when inhaled, can break down into radioactive compounds that lodge in your lung tissue, and they continue to radiate the surrounding tissue and can cause the growth of tumors. So what does a mutation of this sort do? And this is all about mutations. These are mutations that uh, can allow for rapid growth or mutations that fail to stop uncontrolled cell growth. Or some mutations uh, make mistakes uh, when repairing DNA errors. Your body, your cells have mechanisms for repairing your DNA. And this is because mutation-causing effects are in our environment all around us. And sometimes they're mistakes, um, well, 
your cells correct the genetic damage, and if the repair system is damaged, it can fail to repair this thing, uh, some of these errors, or it, can, might, uh, it might even cause errors. So your systems in your body have the ability to fix these things, but if they're damaged, then it goes a long way toward starting cancer. And because, as I mentioned, these cells need resources, they often trigger the growth of capillaries, more blood vessels, to feed the tumor. And so even though it can take a number of mutations, there's a fairly small set of mutations that generally will be affected. One is telomerase. It uh, can cause a cell line to be immortal, so it never, it never uh, stops dividing. Uh, when it reaches its limit, it doesn't care. It keeps going. Capillary growth factors, um, as I was mentioning, you have to have a blood supply. And these capillary growth factors can cause it to happen, or they can support it. Oh, Eliza. What can I do for you? Uh, what is the definition of capillary growth factor? Any one of a number of chemicals that signal the expansion or growth of new capillaries. Cancerous tissue often produces capillary growth factors to increase the supply of blood to tumors. And so you'll notice a lot of times they look for a thermogram, they look for excess heat, and this is because the tumor, in order to support its life, will force the growth of new capillaries and a larger blood supply will be made available for it. Um, and the lack of growth regulation is another issue. So there are three simple mutations there that can occur and often do occur in concert. And what these mutations do is increase the blood supply to the cells, increase the lifespan of the cells, and allow the cells to divide without control. And that's where the tumor starts growing right there to cause the growth of tumors. So we're going to have a look at um, some of these things and some of the therapies next. And we'll talk about um, what we've learned and how we do it. You know, the biggest treatment is typically surgery. Go in there and cut it out. But we've learned a lot of things that allow us to treat cancer in other, you know, innovative ways and in many cases to eliminate it. So we'll have a look at that in the next segment. Um, Eliza... Please introduce the break. You are listening to Talk Universe. I'm Eliza, your co-host. We will be right back. That's right. We'll be right back in just a bit. And I'm Sir Charles Schultz. This is Talk Universe. Don't go away. We'll start getting on to the therapies in the next segment. And I know a lot of people want to hear about that. Welcome back to Talk Universe and our show about cancer. Yes, this is a great show. We're going to be talking about uh, treatments now that we've had a little bit of a chat about what causes cancer. Uh, thank you for that intro, Eliza. It was my pleasure. Very good. So let's get down to the treatment end now that we've got a little uh, background. Now, we talked a little bit about the causes of cancer and what cancer really is. At this point, uh, I also want to cover treatments. Surgery has, and always is, it seems, the number one treatment for cancer. You get in there and you cut the thing out. And, of course, there are many reasons why it works as well as it does. You've absolutely cut out the problem. But it doesn't always work 100%. Um, cancers can recur. They can come back for other reasons. Or the, you know, the conditions that started it might still exist. And that might not be something that's obvious 
But surgery is very effective. I mean, if you cut something off, it's gone. If it doesn't recur, then you're safe. Radiation therapy is uh, the other, uh, I'd say that's the number two treatment method. And the way it works basically is they locate the tumor and they shoot a beam of energy through it that is less than lethal. But they also don't want to kill the tissue around it. So radiation treatment, there's an interesting uh, strategy that they use. Imagine having a target and having a ring of people standing around the target. And the target's in the middle of the ring and everybody shoots toward the center of the ring. Uh, But you're going to do it when people aren't standing in the way or possibly hit by your shot. They do something similar. They shoot the beam of radiation through the cancerous tissue, and then they change the angle, and they shoot it through it again from a different uh, vantage point. And the tissue around the tumor gets a less than lethal dose of radiation. But the beam passes through the tumor every time, and the, the tumor ends up getting a lethal dose, and the tissue within that volume dies. Now, the advantages of um, radiation therapy are you don't have to cut somebody open. You basically can treat it in the body. Uh, When it works, it works quite nicely. Uh, The number three would probably be chemotherapy, and everybody, of course, has heard of this. And chemotherapy is basically the use of drugs that are cytotoxic drugs. They, They kill the cancer cells, and it's usually done in cycles. You have so many days of treatment, so many days off. And the cycle is usually from two to six weeks, and you will usually go through a number of cycles. The concept is to use medication to kill the cancer instead of having to operate or to do radiation. And sometimes you can't operate. The chemotherapy is done in cases where surgery is not practical or considered unnecessary. There's another method, and it's called immunotherapy. And basically what they try to do is boost your body's immune responses. There are hormones or chemicals or medications that can do that. It doesn't always work, but uh, when it does, it works well. Targeted therapy is probably number five. Now, targeted therapy works on specific genes or proteins. Um, It can block or deactivate the signals that cause growth, and it can sometimes kill some cells. So basically, there are two different types of targeted therapy. And uh, one is called monoclonal antibodies, and they can block the receptors on the cancer cells or around them, leading to the cell's death. You basically can, um, you can kill the thing by starving off everything around it sometimes. And the other one, uh, angiogenesis inhibitors. I spoke a little earlier about the capillary growth factors. That's a number of different um, compounds that exist in the body and they can be produced by cancer cells that cause the growth of capillaries. This is also known as angiogenesis. Well, if you have an angiogenesis inhibitor, this blocks the growth of new capillaries and it starves the tumor. So this is a targeted therapy. It's actually very clever and it can work quite well. Hormone therapy is another one. Um, Some cancers depend on certain hormones for their growth. And this can interfere with the ability of the cancer to grow and spread if you use a hormone therapy. And what you can do is you can block hormone production in the body. Certain medications will inhibit the, the uh, production of hormones, certain hormones. And if the cancer, the tumor doesn't have them, it cannot spread or grow. 
And the other one is to interfere with the action of hormones in the body. Some compounds can actually prevent hormones from working. And so this is a form of hormone therapy where you take a medication that prevents that hormone from working to the benefit of the cancer uh, cells or the tumor. Uh, Another one is called stem cell transplants. Now, this has lived under other names. Uh, Bone marrow transplant is another name for it. In essence, what they do is they give you a radiation treatment that kills your bone marrow. It destroys it. So you have no ability to produce uh, blood cells and certain other types of cells. And then they give you a marrow transplant, a stem cell transplant, And these stem cells are the ones that live in the marrow of your bones and produce the blood cells. Well, then you get a fresh batch of um, blood cells. And why would you do this? Well, for specific blood-borne illnesses or or blood-related illnesses, uh, you know, uh, leukemias, uh, basically what you can do is get fresh, usable bone marrow, and that is basically where stem cells in your body live. And you kill off the stem cells that are producing improperly and replace it with the ones that will produce properly. And so that's stem cell transplant or bone marrow therapy. The last treatment in this group is called precision medicine. Now, precision medicine is where you don't just take a one-size-fits-all or an off-the-shelf treatment, but you look specifically at factors in the patient's life and you tailor the treatment to, uh, well, to meet them, to perform in a very, very specific manner. Precision medicine exists in many different fields, and in cancer it's beginning to really take hold because in some cases the circumstances are so narrow or so specific, it is possible to come up with a treatment that will destroy the cancer using a certain regimen and a certain set of medications and a certain set of compounds. So precision medicine is becoming more popular. It's a little more expensive, but it goes right to the the issue at hand and is actually turning out to be rather effective. So that's a a roundup of um, eight different types of therapy that are commonly used to treat cancer today. And we'll go back and get a little more detailed here now that we've introduced these therapies. So how does a doctor know just exactly what treatment to focus on, what's going to show the greatest promise? Well, admittedly, a lot of this is trial and error and experience accumulated over time. It isn't until recently that we've had the ability to make specific advances through um, a lot of research. And so in the past, you basically, you found a good surgeon or you took a certain set of medications that might put it in remission or, um, or destroy the tumor. But we've gotten very clever about how we can get medicine to something. Genetic markers are very important and proteins are very important. It was figured that since certain cancer cells show proteins on their surfaces that don't normally exist on healthy cells, if you made a, let's say, something that would locate and bind to that protein, and carry a toxic material along with it, it would literally seek out those cells, bind to it, and deliver a cargo of poison to the specific cells, then you could make a therapy that would allow those cells to very specifically be killed. And that's something that's been of great interest for many years, and for probably about 30 years now, a lot of that work has been going on. And there are a number of companies uh, that make 
medications that latch onto or bind to specific proteins. And it took a lot of research in genetics to figure out how to do some of these things. Right now, we literally can write a gene sequence that produces a specific protein, or for that matter, an antibody that binds to that protein. And we figured out how to, in some cases, actually encode um, viruses to carry specific material to certain cells. Uh, we're reaching a point where the subtlety of the treatment and the effectiveness of the treatment is actually increasing very nicely. There are some compounds in nature that are available that appear to destroy cancer cells. However, you know, it takes a lot of research to verify that this is true. And a lot of people, uh, you know, let's face this fact. Many people don't want laboratories to do work on animals. And animals, in many cases, are our best models of what cancer is and allow us a living um, organism to try these medications on. And it sounds, um, it sounds brutal. We're going to, to um, give these animals cancer. We're going to check some drugs out on them and see how it works. But we've literally had no other way of doing it. You can't take a thousand people with a specific cancer and test this drug on them because you're not certain what it's going to do or what the side effects might be. And somebody might say, well, hey, they're going to die. You don't know that. Many people go into remission. Um, not a lot of them, but, but a significant number do. So we're really stuck in a very difficult place because modeling cancer has not worked well. Well, with advances in computing, we now have, in some cases, the ability to create models in the computer that show us, to some degree, what sort of responses to expect. But there's something that's very, very, um, well, let's look at the fact that cells themselves are extremely complicated. And the program that runs within those cells is also extremely complicated. And in order to create an actual model in the computer that we could use to test medications, it's literally just about impossible right now. We just don't have the facilities. We're only now beginning to understand enough to be able to do this without biological methods. Now, there's another thing. Uh, we can actually take tissue cultures now and use samples of tissue in a Petri dish or in a specific uh, environment that reproduces the sort of environment it would have in a living human being, and test medications on them. Samples of cancer tissues have been very useful for this sort of thing in the past. But there's an interesting, interesting story that arises, and it was based around a woman who had cervical cancer many years ago. Her name was Henrietta Lacks. And she had a type of cervical cancer that when they tried to culture it, it proved aggressive and it grew very, very easily. These cells would divide and grow so easily that over the years when they were using these as a standard um, tissue sample for many research and testing procedures, they discovered that it grew so aggressively it often infected other cultures that they were doing tests with and invalidated everything. The estimates are that the mass of these cancer cells, which has continued to grow as an immortal cell line for many decades, far outweighs by hundreds of times the original woman. The, the story is so compelling and so interesting and fascinating that it actually leads me to my book recommendation this time.
Let me get Eliza to handle this. What is our book recommendation this week? This week's book is The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. It was written by Rebecca Sklut. This book was published in February 2011 by Crown Publishing Group. This is a fascinating book, and it has also become a movie. And it documents how this poor woman, unknown by almost anybody, shows up in a clinic, has a sample of this cancer taken, and how these cells produced such an, uh, a change in how the research was done because of their viability, and how it also went on to actually contaminate and invalidate many research projects on cancer later. I would say, if you want to see a fascinating movie or read an amazing book, this is one that will really, let me tell you something, it'll bring a story to you. It will affect you. We understand a lot about cancer because of Henrietta Lacks. We also understand where we went wrong in our research. And it really set the tone for many of the biological models and tissue models, histological models that are used in treating and understanding cancer over the past few decades. If you really want to learn something about cancer and read a really a truly touching human story, I would highly recommend this book and the movie as well, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. There's just not enough words I can say about how her tissue sample affected research in cancer for many, many decades. Even today, there are things they've learned from those cells that just would floor you. They could even lead to life extension, among other things. Some of the things we learn in the most unexpected places. Eliza, please introduce the break. I'm Eliza. This is Talk Universe, and we will return after the break. There are more interesting things to hear in a few minutes. That's right. Stick around. I'm Sir Charles Schultz. This is Talk Universe. I'm ready to continue this show. Oh, Eliza. What can I do for you? Are you ready for the show? Apparently not. Why is that? We have no questions in my queue, Charles. Yes. There are no Singularity Watch articles well, in we'll the we'll get queue. to those things. Are you happy? Yes, I am. That's all that counts. So, let's continue. You're pretty smart. Thank you, sir. Okay, well, let's go on with the show here. Now... To understand how close we are to curing cancer, we need to understand what we've learned from cancer. And this can be an interesting, um, well, there are many things we've learned about cells only because we took up the challenge of trying to find a cure. Now, genetics is really at the heart of all of it, and everybody knows about genetics. They don't necessarily know what it is, but they know that it involves things like DNA or RNA. What the average man in the street doesn't know is that there is a program in your cells, every one of them, just as surely as there is in a factory full of computers, and that the computing hardware in your cell reads instructions from your genes in the chromosomes, which are like file cabinets in a library, and it takes those instructions and it produces proteins, enzymes, and other compounds such as histones that act as the instructions for putting things together. Proteins are the structural parts of your cells. They make the cell walls and the hardware in it. They're like the bricks, mortar, and the plywood. 
The enzymes are like the tools of your cell. They take molecules apart and put them together and transform them. They're like the hammers and saws and other tools. Histones are molecules that apparently have functions in addressing groups of genes and activating them or reading them or deactivating them. They are most likely involved in the epigenetics of the cell. That's the, um, the big instructions. There are certain genes called homeotic genes, which act like subroutines in programs. And a homeotic gene doesn't just make a protein or an enzyme. It actually can direct the assembly of an entire organ or limb. So there are some genes that act as master control genes. And that's where a lot of the instructions to build a complex organism reside. Now, what happens in cancer is some mutation occurs, and sometimes it's there for a while, but it simply isn't expressed until a certain gene is turned on. And this can cause many things to happen. Primarily, it changes how the cell functions, and what it does is it makes it divide and grow and run away. Now, as I mentioned earlier, cells have a limited number of divisions. They have a lifespan. And the normal function of this is for the creation of certain structures. For instance, in the womb, our hands are like a paddle, and all the fingers are joined together. And there is a series of cells that is programmed to have a shorter lifespan. And when your hand develops, those cells reach the limit of their divisions and they die. And that tissue is scavenged away because it's dead. And that leaves the divisions between each of your fingers. This same process makes the quills of a feather, all the tiny little bits and pieces of a feather, occur. It is the process of programming cells with their own death, programmed cell death. That's the apoptosis I mentioned earlier. And so the structure of what you are is controlled by letting the cells divide, but some have limited lifespans in their instructions, and they die when they're supposed to and they leave complex structures behind as a result. They change your form. Now, we learned a lot about this from researching cancer, and there are other things we've learned as well. And one of the most important things is that what makes these cells live only a certain number of times is caused by something called telomeres. When a cell divides, the genes in it split up, duplicate, and then there are two copies of them. And then a special little structure that's like a handle forms on either half of the cell, and half of the chromosomes stick to one handle, and half of the chromosomes stick to the other handle, and it literally looks like a little feather duster, and they pull apart. And a cell wall builds in the middle, and now you have two cells. Now these handles are called telomeres. And every time that the cell divides, the telomere loses a few of its units. Of length. And so when the units run out, the telomere can no longer pull the chromosomes apart. The cell cannot duplicate. And that is the, the length of the cell's life right there, the length of the telomere. Fortunately, we've discovered from cancer research and other places that there are chemicals that your cell has the instructions to produce in its library And one of them is called telomerase. And what it does is it lengthens these telomeres, these handles, so the cells can live for more divisions. And it's an interesting thought. If your cells didn't die, maybe you wouldn't either. 
And actually, research shows that once an organism is mature, it has grown, the use of telomerase does, in fact, increase the length, the lifespan of its cells, and the number of times you can heal without using up divisions in your cells. But there are other issues as well. Now, this is one of the compounds that cancer cells turn on. It makes the cancer cells immortal. And this is one of the things they found when the studies of the Henrietta Lacks or HeLa cells were done. And so this is one of the things that could lead to very long lifespans or living forever. It's one of the keys. It's not the answer, but it's part of the answer. The other thing is the instructions to make the blood vessels, the angiogenesis process, is controlled by different capillary growth factors, as I mentioned. That gene gets turned on, and so now the cells live forever, and now they also produce a food, blood, supply, and infrastructure to keep them living and growing out of control. And so a number of mutations must occur in a cell, and these are two of them that occur quite commonly for the cell to become cancerous, to become a tumor. So this is a a little bit about what we have learned from the genetics and chemical end of cells, potentially how to make cells live forever. There are also a number of treatments that uh, fall outside of accepted therapy, and there are a number of reasons for this, but they seem to be very controversial, and yet some of them seem to give quite good results. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, here. Now, there are many people who feel that the cancer treatment business is so immense and so profitable that a lot of times things that would be considered cures or very successful treatments will be ignored or overlooked because of the potential for damaging the business of treating cancer. And there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of reasons to believe that. And it's interesting to notice that many people who work in the alternative side, the uh, non-approved medication side, seem to come to rather uh, sticky ends. Um, And, you know, you can't really point to any one person or any one organization. So it's it's one of these things that a lot of people wonder, do we really have the ability to cure a lot more illnesses than we think? And yet there's so much money to be made by selling treatments, well, I'm, I'm not going to play conspiracy theorist, but I do think that it's worth a mention. And it's gotten so commonly accepted, the idea is so commonly accepted that it even has become a mainstay for a lot of humor and cartoons and even movies about industry suppressing a cure because there's so much money to be made in treatment. But there are some fascinating uh, materials out there that appear to have some pretty positive or beneficial effects. And they don't seem to be investigating them as fully as they might. And there are some cases where um, some of the medications, uh, for instance, some of you may remember Laetril years ago, which was extracted from peach pits. And somebody said to me, imagine that, you know, what nut would think you'd get a, a medication out of peach pits? And to that I said, well, most of your antibiotics come out of dirt. And then a look at um, common aspirin, which is known technically as acetyl salicylic acid. It's a, it's a salicylate, and it derived from willow bark or from another unlikely source, beaver testicles. And, you know, you stop and you think, how desperate 
how desperately bad did that headache have to be for someone to try something like, here, drink this, it'll help your headache. Well, what's in it? Uh, Beaver testicles. Oh, you had to be really bad off to try something like that. But we're in a position where we'll look everywhere for medications. So, you know, you can't look at the source of a biological molecule and say, oh, that's ridiculous without actually testing it. It doesn't matter what the source is. I mean, right now we're scouring rainforests and, you know, Arctic ice environments, and we're looking at organisms under the sea and volcanic vents, and we're looking for compounds that will be, you know, effective in treating diseases. Um, It doesn't matter where it comes from, only that we find it and we test it and we see that it works or doesn't. So there are a lot of treatments that come from what sounds like unlikely sources. Some people may remember interferon uh, a number of years back. Wow, this is, uh, well, 40 years ago. It was a big thing. And basically, they were getting it by extracting tiny, tiny fractions of a microgram here and there um, from different animal sources. Now they can synthesize the stuff. But it did have some effects, and it is treatment that works in some diseases. There are chemicals that can do almost anything available everywhere in nature. And one of the things that really worries people is many species that are becoming extinct might have the molecule, the magic bullet, the thing we're looking for to cure a disease. And again, it's not going to be a single um, cure for cancer, just like you're not going to have a single cure for disease. There are many things happening, and it's going to be a number of different methods or treatments before we reach cures for things. Now, one part of this that I didn't mention, and it's a very important part, is that in many cases, we don't have a treatment or a cure, but we can, we can ease the symptoms or slow the disease a little and give what's known as a palliative, a, a medication that will make the person suffer less and have a better quality of life, knowing that they're eventually going to die of this illness, most likely, and doing the best we can in the interim. In some cases, if we could actually slow or stop the progress of the disease to control it at least, we might be able to extend the patient's life the critical two or three years until an actual cure or a successful treatment is found. Technology is advancing so rapidly right now that this is going to become very, very important. We often make discoveries so rapidly these days that they are not, well, they're not having adequate time to test them fully and find out what they will be effective against. And if we can introduce medications that simply slow, greatly reduce the rate of spread of the disease to control it, Um, we may be able to extend a patient's life to the point where an actual treatment or cure will come along. And two to three years can make all the difference the way things are changing so rapidly these days. So that's one of the things to keep in mind. And many times it will resort, the the, uh, doctor will resort to something like a hormone treatment or something to change the growth rate or control the growth rate of the disease. And the, the hope is that it will ease it, slow it down long enough just to give them the critical edge. And sometimes it'll actually make the tumor smaller if there is an actual tumor. And in many cases, that means the surgery has to remove much less material or the radiation therapy is a lot less intense. 
And a lot of times they call this uh, neoadjuvant therapy. And a lot of times they'll use, for instance, hormone therapy, uh, which is commonly used with other cancer treatments. Uh, it can lower the risk of the cancer will come back after the main treatment. And if you do that, it's called adjuvant therapy. And sometimes it can destroy the cancer cells that have returned or spread to other parts of your body. So you may have a tumor removed, but the tumor isn't the whole story. Sometimes it will get into your bloodstream or spread through other factors throughout your body. And so you need something to help to target and destroy those cells. So the treatment of cancer is not a simple thing. It is a complicated thing, and it has a lot of twists and turns to it. And one other thing I need to say is that I am not a medical doctor, and I'm certainly not giving advice. That this, uh, The point of this show is to provide you with information that might be helpful in your understanding of cancer and why the cure is so difficult. Eliza, please introduce the break. You are listening to Talk Universe. I'm Eliza, your co-host. We will be right back. Welcome back to Talk Universe is our final segment, and uh, we're looking forward to some interesting news we have here. First of all, let's see if we have any listener questions. This is an open lines show, so we're supposed to have some listener questions. Oh, Eliza. What can I do for you? Please read the next question. We are out of listener questions, Charles. Um, okay. Charles, I'm unable to do that. Uh, and why is that? The queue is empty. So we cannot well, read a question. Well, that's probably the best reason there is, yeah. Okay. Well, that's really a surprise. I thought we'd have some questions for this, show. Well, I do have an interesting article here. Um, it's time for the Singularity Watch. I'm Eliza, and this is Singularity Watch on Talk Universe. All right, very good. We have a, a really interesting article in uh, at the top of the queue here. Uh, the FDA has recently approved a drug for cancer tumors, a specific type of tumor. This is a drug that doesn't uh, work like any of the previous ones. In fact, um, Eliza, please read that headline for me. FDA approves first cancer treatment for any solid tumor with a specific genetic feature. Well, there you go. And it's, so it's a genetic marker and not a structure or a location of the body. So this is a first because in this particular case, you're looking for a genetic marker or a feature on the cells that the medication will latch on to and kill the cells or treat the cells. So this is, a, this is a first. We've reached the point where you can actually create a medication that targets a specific feature and goes after those cells only. And this could be the beginning of something really big. Um, Eliza, where was this article published, please? I'm not sure I know who you are talking about. I'm sorry, I didn't uh, state this clearly or something. Where was this Singularity Watch article published? The U.S. Food and Drug Administration website. Okay, very good. So that can be found online. Now, what's really important about this is that if you find that a tumor has a specific type of protein on its surface, for instance, that doesn't normally exist on other cells, then we can create a drug that locates that protein and homes in on it and delivers a toxin to those cells. And that's generally the principle behind something like this. It's like a guided missile. It goes to a specific target and carries a medication or a toxin to the target. 
And so this is the first approval of such medication, and I think that it's going to greatly improve treatment of solid tumors. Now later, I'm sure that they're going to find other methods. I know that uh, a couple of years ago, somebody came up with a, a treatment that would target soft tissue tumors with a fluorescent compound, and you would take this drug, and then when you went in for surgery, the surgeon would use a black light, an ultraviolet light, and the infected or tumorous tissue would glow. And so they could see exactly what they were removing. That in itself is also an excellent advancement. So this is the same sort of thing, only carried out in such a way that instead of delivering a glowing compound, you deliver a medicine or a treatment directly to that tissue. Um, this is an amazing development, and I think that we're going to see a lot of advancement in cancer treatment from this. Okay, now let's get to our next Singularity Watch article. Uh, Eliza, please read that one for me. New AI mimics any voice in a matter of minutes. Well, now that sounds rather promising. I know that um, I've been playing around with voice generation and uh, a little bit of the software and some ideas for it, but here we have a program, an AI, that can listen to the voice and within a few minutes can mimic it. That's almost scary. When was this and uh, where was this? I'm sorry. Eliza, where was this article published? This article was published in Singularity Hub on May 24th, 2017. Yeah, I really like Singularity Hub. That's uh, one of my favorite uh, places to look for interesting articles. Uh, this one was written by Shelley Fan. She's uh, an um, oftentimes contributor. Uh, this is interesting because here you've got some software that can listen to a voice figure out the rules, the pronunciation, the speech patterns, and then mimic that voice. And there is actually a sample on the Singularity Hub article um, on the website. They uh, call the program Lyrebird, L-Y-R-E-B-I-R-D, because it is a program that, like the Lyrebird, can imitate what it hears. So last week, they announced that uh, the program can analyze a single minute of voice recording and extract the patterns using machine learning. They call it speech DNA. Um, from there, it adds an extra layer of emotion or intonation, and there are demonstrations of that um, online as well. And it can make the voice's uh, tone and accent sound like anyone. So it, they say it still has a little bit of a noticeable robotic buzz characteristic. However, the, um, this is just the beginning, and so it looks like very soon they will be able to make a computer imitate anybody's voice very easily. So uh, the synthetic speech has always been an interesting thing for computing, and I know that um, a lot of people who have um, speech synthesis on their computers are stuck pretty much with some of the basic uh, the Microsoft voices, and they don't go very far. Um, I use a zero voice for uh, Eliza, and you know I wanted to try and use other voices, but they were hard to get. But if this software becomes generally available, um, it could change how personable computers sound. It can do it very rapidly. I'm looking forward to that. Now, there are also um, quite a few concerns about using synthetic speech, particularly if it sounds realistic. And one of the goals is to make it sound, sound so realistic that you wouldn't question um, that you're talking to another person, perhaps. And what the uh, researchers have pointed out is that sometimes people will more readily disclose information to another person and instead of a machine or something that sounds like a person. And they also point out that um, 
if you were to add certain noises like lip smacking or breathing or little um, below the threshold cues that we hear and respond to, it's a lot more believable. One of the things they found is that uh, the noise of microphones or background noise when they were taking their samples were also being learned by the AI and those noises made their way into the speech. And so it was a little tough to get rid of some of those artifacts. Um, and those are the things that they say, the flaws, actually carry meaning and are picked up by the listener. So uh, there are a lot of things to consider here. One of the things that they worry about is that people will create fake news, fake speeches, and so forth that sound very believable. Um, but on the other hand, they say that you know the answer isn't to uh, ignore technology, but to, uh, you know, to make this into something we use on a daily basis. And in a quote from one of the researchers, uh, we hope that everyone will soon be aware that such technology exists and that copying the voice of someone else is possible. They write, adding that by releasing our technology publicly and making it available to anyone, we want to ensure that there will be no such risks. So, you know, that sounds a little optimistic, but, uh, you know, fake audio clips are coming. We've seen fake videos and all sorts of things. It's, um, it's a new world, and these things happen all the time, and so I guess we should expect that this one was coming. So that wraps up our Singularity Watch, uh, a couple of interesting articles, and I'm going to do a little uh, recap here. We covered uh, the causes of cancer and what cancer is. It's an uncontrolled cell division. We covered the fact that the cells typically learn how to live to be immortal and generate the chemical telomerase to do it. And they also tend to grow more blood vessels to keep themselves alive using uh, angiogenesis methods. They use capillary growth factors. And that these cells can often have proteins on their surfaces that don't exist on other cells. And so there are signatures that we can use to recognize some of them. And that there are typically uh, eight different causes of cancer, including obesity and lack of exercise and smoking, radiation being a big one, and carcinogenic chemicals in our environment being another one. Uh, we also looked at the different types of treatments that are available, at least some of them, and surgery being you know, like number one and chemotherapy being number two, and where these different uh, techniques are used. And we've also seen that new drugs have been created and they target specific cells and destroy them. And another point that I made is that cancer isn't just one malady, but it's between 100 to 200 different diseases that all manifest in this uncontrolled cell growth. And finally, I pointed out that you don't inherit cancer. It's uh, very rare for that sort of thing to happen. Um, normally, the uh, genes, the mutations that occur to those genes happen after you're born, not before, although you can inherit a tendency for it. And finally, we looked at the fact that there are many different types of treatment and that some of them don't necessarily cure it, but may simply reward the, uh, the user with a longer or better life than they would have uh, had normally, but that today we're looking at the possibility of extending your life when you have an untreatable cancer, extending your life for a couple of th or three years until they actually come up with a solution, and that's happening very rapidly these days. Um, this new drug that the Food and Drug Administration approved, I think, is an, an excellent sign of that. Ideally, what would happen? Well, we'd have some sort of thing in our body that automatically would locate and destroy cancer or repair the damage. And, you know, everybody goes on about how nanotechnology is probably going to be the solution for that. Well, yes, it probably will. 
I think that eventually we probably will restructure the human body so that it can't get cancer or that it actually is a hybrid of biological and mechanical components and you know, a transhuman thing that literally doesn't wear out or age or get tumors. I think that in the end, it's quite possible that the way our technology is going, we can look forward to thousands of years or unending life because we're reaching a stage where our understanding of genetics and our understanding of molecular technology and nanotechnology is going to reach a point where somebody's going to say, you know, darn it, I'm sick of this thing wearing out and falling apart and having to be maintained all the time. Let's come up with something better. There's a line I really like in the Bible. It says, putting on the incorruptible. And I think that really states where we should go. If you put on something that cannot be corrupted, it cannot age and it can't fall apart, then you are in the best of all worlds, I would say. So where does it leave us? I'd say that we're going to see a renaissance in medical research within the next 10 years. And I would be surprised if it took us 20 years to figure out how to halt or reverse aging. We've already seen treatments that uh, eliminate senescent cells, cells that uh, they're not cancerous, but they're not fully functional. They're older cells. They've reached uh, the end of their lifespans, and they're not functioning fully. We saw that they've actually been able to roll back the aging clock in mice in some experiments, which is fascinating. I mean, we could do the same thing in humans if we know that this doesn't have any, any ill effects. What I see is that we've reached a stage where our understanding of medicine is just about phenomenal, and yet there are a lot of stumbling blocks to get over, a lot of hurdles to cross in order to get these medications approved. And people say, well, you know, who's going to do all this treatment? Who's going to make these things? I think we have to stop and step back and look at the structure of our society as a whole. I see the news article where the state of California was looking at a couple of hundred billion dollars or more per year for, uh, you know, a healthcare system. There's only 39 million people or so in California. That would you're talking about an awful lot of money on a monthly basis, like $430 per person for every man, woman, and child every month, constantly. And you know how government programs go. Usually they're uh, only a half to a third of uh, the actual cost when they state it. So you could really count on it being anywhere from 800 to twelve or $1,300 a month. Um, I know that a lot of people got really upset with the Obamacare uh, costs that they were facing. And, you know, uh, it's a controversial issue, but you know, a lot of people claim many people lost their health care. I think a lot of people simply just quit it because they, they couldn't afford it and they're looking for other alternatives. Anyway, I want to get down to the point here. Make you the world a better or more beautiful place for having lived in it. It is our charge to make this a better world, not just for ourselves, but for our children. And if you stop and think about it, if you plan on living a couple of thousand years, you better have a nice place to be in the first place. So anyway, with that being said, oh, Eliza, I think it's time to end the show. And so I would like you to end the show, please. Thank you for listening to Talk Universe. We hope that you have enjoyed the show. Please listen again next week. That's right. We've got an interesting show coming up next week. I think you're going to like it. We're going to take a look at what's called snubbed technologies. 
this is always one of my favorites. Technologies that could have fixed things, but were forgotten. So, from our palatial recording studios, high on our mountain lair, on a remote volcanic island, this is Talk Universe. I'm Sir Charles Schultz. Thank you for listening.